Well, hey, it's five days from Christmas, just in case you haven't been counting, or in case you haven't started shopping yet. Uh, for some of you, I know you're out there. Uh, some of you are online shoppers, and you haven't started shopping yet, and I got bad news for you. It's not getting here by Christmas. Uh, unless you want to pay a whole lot to get it here by Christmas, uh, it's not getting here by Christmas. But hey, it's exciting. It's an exciting time of year. Great to hear our kids celebrate today and really lead us in that song, Go Tell It on the Mountain, bringing us back to the message of the season, and that is this. And this has really been the theme verse uh, throughout uh, the series. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And that's who we celebrate. We celebrate Jesus today and all that he is in the names of God. And today we're talking about Mighty God. And uh, I'll be honest with you, when I got Mighty God, I'm like, man, like how do you, like that's, that's a big topic. That's a big topic to, uh, to grab a hold of. It's a big topic to totally botch too. So I'm like, you know, how do you really capture and, and, and really wrap your arms around this idea of mighty God. And it had me thinking back to one of the first Christmas messages that I ever did. It was when we were in the first building over the little daycare center. And uh, I was so excited because it was like my first Christmas message. And I thought that I was just, it was going to be like the best, in my mind, the best Christmas message of all time. And I had props. And there was going to be an object lesson. And the topic that I had was the light of the world. We just think about the light of the world. Like, I had the light of the world. I'm like, I'm going to use all kinds of lights. And... Uh, we're going to start out, and it's like this whole dramatic thing in my head. Like, I'm going to start, the scene's going to be dark. I'm going to be talking about kind of the dark state of the world, and, like, it's going to be completely dark in the room. Like, you're not going to be able to see anything. And then slowly, like, as the message kind of builds, light's going to enter in, and then by the end, like, it's going to be this kind of illumination of some kind. And so I'm like, in my mind, I was like, this is going to be awesome. Like, I can't wait. So I started to realize, and I started to realize a little bit too late that this was not coming together in the way that I had hoped. I had lights on like a Christmas tree, and I had some different lights for different moments of the Christmas story to kind of like just, you know, illuminate the room. And so the first problem was that the room wasn't very dark at all. And uh, so I was like in my dark, like I was all dramatic, and it was barely, there was a bunch of light coming through, and I'm like, I tried to block it out with like something, but it didn't work. And so it was already light in the room, like totally missed the mark, but I just kept going with it. And uh, then like the whole point was to kind of build to this big climatic moment where in this part of the story where the glory of God shone around them. And I had like this light that like it was going to be so dark and then this is going to blind everybody with this blinding light of the whole glory, the full glory of God in the room. And uh, I, it was like I picked the lamest little light ever and I turned it on. It was like the glory of God. It was like shining in one guy's face. He's just like kind of irritated by it. And I'm like, you know, and then it was funny because like I realized how lame this all was. And so my response was, well, that's not even half of it. Like, the glory. Like, I could quantify that. That's, well, that's not even half of the glory of God. Like, that was my, like, recovery line to which Stephen's over in the corner, and he just laughs out loud. Like, he thought it was the most hilarious thing ever. And so it was a total, total disaster, and I totally failed to capture the glory of God. And so that's really, I say all that to say, that's my fear with a message like this. And that's really my fear for all of us, is that we fail to capture the weight of God's glory, the weight of God's might. And as we ponder this idea today, as we reflect on mighty God, as we reflect on this past year, one of the things that I think we have to continue to come to grips with or understand or realize is that 
Um, yes, this year has been just daunting, right? This year has been, it felt like, in, in some ways, it felt like it's gone on forever. In some ways, it feels like it's just flown by. Um, but what I, I want to propose to you is that our greatest danger is not when our problems get too large. It's when our God gets too small. When we fail to realize in our minds and hearts the full might of God. In other words, we spiral the fastest when we overestimate the problem and pains of the world and underestimate the glory and might of God. And I think we're all guilty of this. We're all, not to say that our problems aren't there or that we should minimize those things. It's not to do any of that. It's just to say that it's easy for us to get so fixated on that that we take our eyes off of God and his might and who he is. And so what I want to do this morning a little bit is draw our eyes and our attention back to mighty God because we all have a tendency to lose sight of what God is capable of. Just like the priest Zechariah the father of John the Baptist, when he was told that God, what God would do and, and told by the angel Gabriel that his wife, Elizabeth, who was well up in age, like not in the age of bearing sons, the angel came to her and said, you're going to bear a son, and she's going to bear a son in her old age who will be the one that prepares the way for the Lord. So this message is brought to Zechariah, to which he kind of dismisses. He's like, you know, there's no way. Like in his mind or heart or whatever, we don't know. But here's how that kind of goes. It says, the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens. Why? Because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. And so there's some sort of doubt. There's some sort of moment where even the priest, Zechariah, who gets to stand in the holiest of holy places, he underestimates the might of God, and so he's rendered silent for months and months during this entire pregnancy. And, and sure enough, God does the impossible. Elizabeth becomes pregnant, rejoicing all the while. Meanwhile, Zechariah remains speechless until the baby is born. And then the first recorded words um, of him speaking, he breaks into this song of just praise about who God is. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to the people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of the servant David, as he said through his holy prophets long ago. Guys, he did just what he said he was going to do. And so he breaks out into praise about this. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear. In holiness and righteousness before him all our days, this morning I want to draw our attention back to that, to the glory of God, to who he is that he has rescued us from the hand of our enemies, enabled us to serve him without fear. He is mighty God. And so the goal is really just to capture some realities today to give, begin to get us thinking about because there's no way that I could do this topic of mighty God justice, but I want to draw our attention, fix our eyes back on him so that we can take that journey ourselves. And so let's talk about some realities about this mighty God that we serve, this God that showed up to us as a baby in a manger that we might discover and recapture how mighty he truly is. The first reality I want to talk about is this. His sovereignty is unimaginable. His sovereignty, his work, 
his involvement in our world, his involvement in our lives, and his involvement from the very beginning of time. Listen now, Colossians 1, 15 through 16 says it. The Son is the image of the invisible God. So the Son, Jesus, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers, rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Talk about sovereignty, a sovereignty that is truly unimaginable. The detail, the intricacy of our God, all over, everywhere we look, we have the ability to see this. Um, one of my least favorite of all time uh, Christmas traditions, my favorite least favorite, I like it, but I, I also really dislike it. I meant it just the way I said it. My favorite least favorite is making gingerbread houses. Because in theory, I'm always excited, but like, this seems like a great idea, like let's make a gingerbread house. And uh, I think, honestly, Eli has the right idea. Like, this is what he does most of the time, is he's just picking at the camera. Like, where's all the candy going? Like, it's, where's it all going? And he's, uh, like, eating it. Uh, but, and, and here's kind of how, at the end of the day, most of the time it turns out for me. I'm like, Dude, how do these things even go together? Like, this glue you gave me, like, it doesn't stick. To, and I guess I probably am too impatient because at some point it just looks like a pile. And then I'm frustrated. I'm like, this is why this is my least favorite thing. You know, and uh, on the other hand, there's people like Erin. This is her picture of her gingerbread house. Like, did you really do, like, and the fact that you took the time to do that and, like, the detail and the intricacy and the, it's just amazing. Now, you might walk into my gingerbread house and see that in a room somewhere and be like, well, that just happened. That was a giant accident. But you would not walk in and see that and think, well, the cookies just sort of came together and compiled themselves and the candy somehow miraculously in the room while I wasn't. Your first assumption would not be that this was some giant accident. Now, as we think about our world, as we think about the universe, as we think about the cosmos, as we think about and look at the, the, just everything from the cosmic level down to the cellular level, how can we look at that and walk into that room and be like, well, that probably just happened. I mean, come, are you serious? I mean, have you really looked at God's sovereignty, how unimaginable it really is? God's attention to detail on every single level. And one of my favorite things is, even though I'm not a science guy, like I know some science and I've learned something, or math has not ever been like, I mean, I'm okay at it, right? But I love to study all of these different fields because all of these fields, they're not contrary to God. In fact, they, even in a greater way, point to God's sovereignty and God's power. I mean, have you ever really studied astronomy? Have you ever really studied the stars or even just the unlikelihood of us even standing on this rock right here and existing and being able to breathe air? I mean, for life to actually exist, I mean, if you looked at the numbers of like how improbable that was, and go do it sometime, like look it up. I mean, let your mind be blown at how, what a giant miracle this is that we're having this conversation. I mean, what about biology? I mean, have you ever really looked at, like, the way life is, like, emerged and, like, just the great detail and order that is all around us? I mean, what about the human anatomy even? I mean, the, the cell. I mean, if you look at the way that, like, the cell has broken down and how everything functions in our body, if you look at the human brain, this, like, amazing computer that, like, any designer at Apple would be like, like, that just blows my, I have no idea. That's amazing, Right? It's incredible, the efficiency and the power of just the human mind. Physics, genetics, I mean, the, the double, I, I could go on and on about these things. 
The intentional hand of mighty God is tough to miss no matter where you look. That's why the man who won the Nobel Peace Prize for the discovery of the double helix said, the God of the Bible is also the God of the genome. He can be worshipped in the cathedral or in the laboratory. His creation is majestic, awesome, intricate, beautiful. That's Francis Collins. It says in Psalm 19, 1 through 4, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the earth. And in light of God, in light of his sovereignty, in light of his work in our lives and his control, what are we to do? Well, we're to join the chorus. The heavens are already declaring the glory of God. The skies are already proclaiming the work of his hands. Our job is with this one life that we've been given to join the chorus. Join the chorus. And that's what happened in the original Christmas story when God became man. The default reaction of those who truly honored God was to come back to this place of worship over and over again in their own way. And we do what that song says. We, we come, we come, let us adore him. Let us gaze adoringly at who God is. And let us, as the kids just sung about, let's go tell that on the mountain. Let's proclaim that everywhere we go. And let's demonstrate it by the lives that we live. And when we wonder, when we, when we allow ourselves to wonder and continue to join the chorus and worship, we discover more of his sovereignty. We discover the apparentness of, of his work in our lives. And we also discover a second reality, and that's that his glory is incomprehensible. Our mighty God is simply put beyond our comprehension. As Gerhard once said, a comprehended God is no God at all. As much as we wonder, like, I can't answer. My son even asked me the other day, he's asked me a question about God that I was like, like, you're already asking me these questions, right? We have these big questions about God. And the truth is, we should be mystified by God. We should be get to this point where, like, I can't even comprehend it because a comprehended God is no God at all. Sometimes, though, when our God gets too small, we try to fit him into a nice, neat little box. But the truth is, in that case, he's probably a God of our own making. If he doesn't completely mystify us, we probably have only begun to scratch the surface. We probably are only looking at him at a distance. One of the things was a group of us went to the, the Grand Canyon, as I've talked about uh, a few weeks back, and it was a really cool trip. And everybody asks, like, you know, the default questions, well, well how was it? And I think I could probably speak for all the guys when everybody, anybody asks that question, it's like, I don't know how to answer that question. Because, like, until you've, like, been there, until you've experienced it, you can't really answer. I mean, you can throw words out like, well, it was breathtaking, and it absolutely was. I mean, you walk up, you stand on the edge of that canyon, you look out at something like this, and you're like, you're just, like, standing in awe of, like, what's out in front of you, this creation that God has made. And then you kind of get into it, and you start walking into the canyon, and it just continues. I mean, there's nothing, it's pretty cool to stand up on the side but it's an entirely another thing to get down in and walk through that canyon. And there was this moment where it felt like we'd been walking for a really long time downhill. And in your mind, you realize, okay, all this downhill we're doing right now, we got to go back up, you know. And so it's great. We're having a good time. But, like, we got to go back up this thing. And I, I remember at one point, like, it just kind of struck me. I was coming down the, the way, and we were looking into this giant, it's, it's a really, really big hole. I mean, I'm, I'm just telling you. And you get to this point, and you're like, it's leveling out. I'm like, I think we're close to the bottom. 
And then you turn this corner, and there's a whole other Grand Canyon inside the Grand Canyon. And I'm like, oh, boy, like, here we go. And so it, it was just incredible, like, that it just felt like it kept going on and kept going on. And Paul sent this message to a group of us after, and he said, you know, I just keep thinking about this one verse in Romans after our trip to the Grand Canyon. And it goes like this in, in Romans 11, 33 through 36. is, oh, the depths of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his past beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for, and, and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. That, that path just keeps on. When you take that journey, that path just keeps on going. And I'm afraid that for some of us, we settle for somebody else standing and telling us about what it's like. But he's like, hey, just tell me what, what's God like. Just tell me what he's like. Or we read a book about what God's like. But there is no replacement for taking the journey for yourself. We all have to get out and take the journey. And we realize that as we do that, it just becomes, it's just beyond our tracing out, but it's worth the journey. So we can stand at a distance, we can settle for someone else's description of him, or we can take the journey deeper into his presence ourselves. Nobody else can truly take that journey for you. We have to take that journey. Just like the, the Magi who were chasing that star, and they could have at least, you know, they could have said, hey, you know, guys, just tell me how it goes. Like, tell me what that's like, you know? But they're like, no, I'm, we're going to, we see this star, we've heard this story, we want to go, and we want to take the journey for ourselves. I like the simple motto of, of North Face, the North Face branding, and I don't know if this is still their motto, but uh, one of their mottos over the years has been, never stop exploring. And I think that in the heart of every believer that we should have that same motto, that we never stop exploring because the moment we stop exploring is the moment that our faith starts to dry up our fascination starts to dry up and our God starts to grow smaller in our minds and our hearts so reality number two is that his glory is beyond our comprehension it's incomprehensible reality number three is that his power is truly uncontainable acts 2 22 through 24 there's this great moment where they're describing the story of what God has done, essentially the Christmas story, into the Easter story, what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And the message from the apostles is this. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, signs. And God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on a cross. But listen, God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to have its hold on him. I mean, this is the miraculous Jesus. This is the miraculous son that was born in that manger that day. He was the God of miracles, and all the things that he did were beyond compare. They were uncontainable, and all of them were simply signs a revelation, the, the main thing, the thing that Jesus would come and do, and that's die, and then in, in, in an impossible way raise himself from the dead. Death had no hold on him. It's impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Jesus proved to be mighty God over and over again by doing the impossible. And this word miracle here in the text really just means signs. It's all signs pointing back to who God is. It's all signs pointing back to mighty God. 
And I do think that there's a theology today that, that exists that tries to explain away the miracles of Jesus. And it's a growing theology. And we have to be careful because it's simply a futile attempt to undermine the divinity of who Jesus is. To try to undercut his power. But we know who Jesus is. He's mighty God. Proven most notably by the fact that it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. That's the God that we serve, friends. I love what Mark Batterson says as we face challenges in light of God's power, in light of the uncontainable power of Jesus who we serve. Mark Batterson says, at some point you have to start talk, stop talking to God about your mountain and you got to start talking to the mountain about your God. When's the last time that you told that thing you're facing who your God is and how big your God is and who Jesus is? and all that he has done, and all that he is capable of. We used to start telling your mountain, listen, the God that I serve, it's impossible for death to keep its hold on him. So you got nothing on me. And it may not take away every challenge as we do that. It may not take away every challenge as we pray boldly, which we should do in light of God's power. But never will you find yourself more equipped to face what you must face than when you are telling that mountain about your God, when you are going before God, falling on your knees, praying boldly before him, asking him to do the impossible. So regardless of how big that mountain is or how big that problem is or how big that heartache is you're facing, it's not to undermine that. But listen, mighty God is bigger than those things. He's mighty in his power. He's perfect in his promise. There's no one more faithful. That's reality number four is this. His promise is unshakable. Luke 1, 35 through 37, says that the angel answered to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is gonna have a child in her old age and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. And I love this last part, for no word from God will ever fail. No word from God will ever fail. No word from God has ever failed. No word from God will ever fail. Mighty God makes good on every single promise. The greatest promise he ever fulfilled came through this child that we celebrate, that we sing of, that we think about and we reflect on as Christmas approaches. And it's interesting because as we think about this story, as we think about the might of God, in an ironic twist that nobody saw coming, mighty God became a mere man. As C.S. Lewis said, the Son of God became a man to enable men to become sons of God. That is the unshakable promise of God. That's, that's what Christmas is all about. It's the story of God's rescue mission to earth. Friends, what I hope you hear today and what I hope you remember as you reflect on Jesus lying in a manger, not only is he mighty God, but he is mighty close. Isaiah 59 begins by saying, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor is his ear too dull to hear. But your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that you will not hear. For your hands are stained with blood, your fingers with guilt. Your lips have spoken falsely, and your tongue mutters wicked things. In verse 21, it then ends with these words. It says, the Redeemer will come to Zion to those in Jacob who repent of their sins, declares the Lord. 
It is in our repentance as we humble ourselves that we welcome the work of the Redeemer into our life. Mighty God has come, and he wants to come mighty close. If we would invite him, if we would let him, we just have to reach out a hand to him. I don't know if any of you followed this local story this week. Um, the, the, it's kind of been a developing story over the past week. Um, this warehouse collapse and this power plant, old power plant collapse in Adams County. And um, this 14 stories of this old building collapsed in on these construction crew that was working. There was five men trapped amidst, I mean, just talk about just a desperate situation, what's going to happen. Crews are working tirelessly to carefully remove rubble to try to rescue these guys um, out of the rubble. And there was this former police chief, David Benjamin, who showed up to the site where these five men were buried uh, amidst the rubble, amidst these 14 stories of rubble. And Chief Benjamin, he came to lend a hand. He's like, I just wanted to come and help out in any way that I could. And it turned out to be providential that he was there. When he got there, he said the scene was devastating. It was, it was heart-wrenching sight. It just had you leaving stunned when you got there. Like, oh my goodness. And two men had already been rescued at that point. And with each passing hour, the likelihood of finding someone else alive seemed grim. Then the unthinkable happened. A fireman spotted an arm reaching up out of the rubble. He rushed over. He grabbed the hold of that man's hand. A phone was then brought to this man who was so weak and in such a critical state that he was just preparing to call to tell his family that he loved them one last time. And so they brought him the phone to make this call. And Chief Benjamin wasn't done, though. He was, like, he, he was, he was unsettled with that. He's like, no, we're not, we're not giving up. And so he, he spends some time with this man. He comes up to him, and Chief Benjamin is a follower of Jesus. And he got down with that man. He prayed with the man who in those moments actually met Jesus. He, like, received Jesus in those moments and accepted him uh, as his Savior. They're having this conversation. They're praying through all of this. And then they continue to pray. They're like, well, let's pray for a miracle. And this man was freed from the rubble. He walked out of that rubble. And the cool thing about that story is, I mean, praise mighty God, because mighty God in those moments, as in any moment, was mighty close. And when that man reached out for help, he was pulled from the rubble. He was both pulled from the rubble of that building, and he was pulled from the rubble of sin as he reached out a hand to God in repentance. Maybe you don't know what it feels like this year to physically be buried under 14 stories of a building, but I think in some way or another, we could say that this year has kind of fallen in on us, and we felt the weight of it, and it's been crushing at times, and, and I don't know all of your story. I don't know of the, the things that have even happened, just the tensions that maybe have been rising at home or, or whatever it might be, or... Um, the conversations or the difficulty or people that you know that are sick or people that you've lost in all of this just story by story continue falling in on top of us and, and I just know this is not only this year has fallen in on us in a lot of ways but life has a way of burying us over time without us realizing little by little we get buried in the rubble and I know this as well that sin by its nature traps us in a way that we can't escape. And we could all share our story of that moment when we were underneath the rubble and we finally stuck out that hand and just reached out to God and said, God, I, I just need you to rescue me. I need a redeemer. We need a mighty God. But we don't just need a mighty God. We need the mighty God that we have, and that's a mighty God who's mighty close. 
Just reach out a hand to him, friends. Because surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save. All we have to do is reach out in repentance to believe in his name, to put our faith in him, to repent of that other life and turn to him, to confess him as the Lord, then to be baptized and commit our lives to him in baptism. And I am forever grateful for that message because that is the message of Christmas. It doesn't matter what you've done or where you find yourself today, how devastating the, 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 the scene seems. God's arm is not too short to save. And if you want to learn about that, if you want to talk about that, if I could take a moment and pray with you, I'll be hanging out here after in the corner and uh, we'll just love to, or if there's just something you're facing that you would like some prayer for, just to reach that hand up to God. Or maybe there's somebody in this room that you can grab after this and say, hey, let's, let's take a walk for a minute. I need you to come alongside me. Let's reach a hand up to God together and pray. He is mighty God. He is mighty close. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you for meeting us here. That despite your might, despite you being on a completely another plane, another level, so beyond us, God, you did not remain beyond our reach, but in Jesus you came mighty close to us. God, just pray for the people in this room, for the things that they're facing, for the anxieties, for the pressures, for the tensions, for the tough decisions, for the shame and guilt that this year has piled upon them. Seems for every decision that we make, we feel like we got it wrong. And I just pray, God, that you would, by the power of your grace, by the power of your merciful son, Jesus, by the power of mighty God, God, that you would redeem us, that you would rescue us from this hour, from this moment, from this time. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen.